Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Open up your Bibles if you would today. We're going to be going to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Actually, chapter 1. Today we're going to look at something that God felt so important that he decided to uh, make it among the very first things that he is going to tell us. I love this, this thought that you know, God wanted us to know something in the very beginning. You know, uh, we're actually going to the first chapter. In just a moment, we're going to be looking at verse number 4 and 5. But let me catch you up. There's a lot of history before we get there, okay? Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you know, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved, hovered on the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Wow. Okay, that just caught us up. All right. Let there be light. Wow. Are you ready? We're already at verse 4. One of the first lessons, again, that God wants to teach us. Verse 4, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. As I said before, I, I love the thought that God wanted to, us to know something in the very beginning. You see, today we're talking about the first day. The very first day. The evening and the morning were the first day. What did God do on the first day? <laughs> well, I think that's pretty important. I think it's reasonable to understand that whatever we see God doing, that if we could imitate that, if we could find a way to make that a practical application in our world, that we would also receive some of the same benefits that we see God receiving later for having done the same thing. You see, God decided and God uh, knew that the earth under his supervision in darkness was not what he wanted. Even though he owned it and even though it was his, yet it was covered with darkness and that's not what he wanted. You see, earth under God's supervision and your life under your supervision will never experience the kind of life that God intended if we don't do something about the darkness. You see, in order to begin to enjoy life as God intended, we must take some steps. We must understand that the priority of God was to create light, but not just create light. The priority of God was to separate the light from the darkness. That's what he did on the first day. He separated the light from the darkness. And our lives also are intended to be a process. We don't know how long it took God, but we know it took him at least one day at some point, one breath, one moment, one hour in that day, maybe a half a day, maybe 23 of the 24 hours after he said, let there be light, he spent separating things that were in darkness from things that were in light. God intends for us to take some steps to separate light from darkness in our life as well. Darkness inherently makes life more challenging. 
In fact, one of the greatest and most common fears known to mankind is to be left in darkness. Okay? I, you know, I can identify with that. Can you identify with that? It's one of, the, one of the fears that we don't want for our eternity. In fact, God describes an eternity without him as an eternity in darkness. You know, outer darkness. Whoa, who wants that? I can barely stand to walk through this building at 2 o'clock in the morning by myself. Between where you turn the light off and where my car is parked, there's no other light switch. And sometimes my step gets a little quicker on the way because I don't know there's something about being in the dark by yourself that makes you kind of feel a little bit, you know, mm, I think I'll hurry. <laughs> Have you ever felt that? You know, oh, come on now. I don't think of myself as a classic wimp. But at nighttime, you turn all the lights out in here, and I'm in here, and I'm thinking, okay. I'm not afraid of the darkness. I'm just afraid of what might be in the darkness. <laughs> this is one of the most common fears known to mankind, is to be left in darkness, to be alone in darkness. Wow. I remember when we were raising our children, you know, I was raised a little different. I was raised that if you complained about it being dark, <laughs> you just complained and you were told to, you know, go to sleep. You know, be quiet. I'll come in there and whip you and then you'll be in the dark hurting, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't have cruel parents. I just had parents that weren't quite exactly 100%, uh, you know, um, concerned about me being afraid. Of course, my mom and dad were in the room together. I was by myself. So, raising our children, I understood that this fear of being in darkness not only had some natural outcroppings that made us tense and made us concerned, and it was normal, it was natural, it was, you know, but it also must have some spiritual significance, some spiritual implications, because it seemed as though that, that, that many times whenever I would even get spiritually afraid, I mean kind of concerned that, oh my goodness, the devil's going to show up here, you know, or something's going to happen. Anybody ever had these experiences? I'm certainly not by myself in this, I hope. If I am, lock me up, please. But... When our children would say, Mommy, Daddy, I'm afraid. We'd go in there and they'd say, I think I heard something in the closet. We'd turn all the lights on. And I'd say, come on, where are you now? Who's scared now? Where is where, you know, come on. You. I'd do that for myself when I was, you know, I would just turn the lights on and say, okay, now, devil, where are you now? Come scare me in the middle of the night. Come on. Boy, if anything ever jumped out, I'd take off. <laughs> but the fact is that light drives darkness away. Darkness inherently makes things much more challenging. It makes our work more challenging. It makes our life more challenging. You know, about 1,500 years before Christ... There was a man named Moses that God chose. And God said, Moses, I want you to go down into Egypt and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. 
Let the children of Israel go. Release them from their bondage. Release them from their slavery. Let them go. Well, Moses went down and stood face to face with Pharaoh. And he said, Pharaoh, let the children of God go. Release them from their bondage. Well, Pharaoh didn't want to do it, but through the process of time and the persistence of God, Pharaoh was forced to release the children of Israel. He didn't like being forced to let them go. But God led the children of Israel on their journey. They were the children of Israel before they left Egypt. They were the children of Israel on their journey, and they were the children of Israel once they got to where they were going. But God was leading his children, and it looked like to everyone else that God led them right into a trap, right into a box canyon. He led them right up to the Red Sea so that they had nowhere to go. And Pharaoh had gotten upset that his, his you know, slaves had been released. So he started pursuing them. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for the children of Israel? with their backs to the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's army rushing at them, what in the world could they do? It looked like God had led them right into a trap, but God had a plan. To the children of Israel, it looked like they only had two choices, get wet or give up. You ever felt like you only had two choices? You know, jump in the river or just quit? Well, that's how they must have felt because they had no other options. No other visible options were presented to them, yet God had a plan. God had a plan not only to, to free the children of Israel, but he also had a plan to destroy the haunting pursuits of the enemies of their past. God had a better plan. He always does. He never points where he will not provide. He never leads somewhere that he will not also sustain. What God needed from the children of Israel and indeed what the children of Israel needed in that moment was to trust God enough to give him a little time. Wow. That can be hard. That can be hard to to trust God and to, to, to put all your hope in Him when it requires time, especially when your back is to the wall and your enemies are breathing down your neck. In that moment, it seems like there is no time. How in the world can I give God time? How can I trust God enough to give Him time when the enemies look like they are ready to devour me? Whenever all my options seem so dismal that I can either jump into the sea and be carried away and, and drowned or I can give up and be slaughtered or enslaved. How can I give God time? How can I trust him enough to give him time when it looks like I'm about to die? 
Well, I assure you that God has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for your job. He has a plan for your business. He has a plan for your community. He has a plan for your ministry. He has a plan for your generation, a plan for your nation, and a plan for this earth. God has a plan. And listen to me. God's plan will always include the time you need to wait on him. When you're waiting on God, you're not wasting time. While you're waiting, God is working. And God's plan will always include enough time for him to work. You know, if you've noticed something about God, he seldom shows up early, but he's never late. God will not be late in your life. God will show up. And if you will trust him, that's what he needed from the children of Israel. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me enough to give me a little time because it's going to take some time. When the children of Israel found themselves between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, they had no other choices. And so God took over. You can read about it in Exodus 14. Remember, we're talking about the first day and God's priorities and how God did something in his first day that we need to incorporate as a priority in our life. Uh, the separation of light and darkness. Here the children of Israel were with their backs to the Red Sea. It's get wet or give up or give it to God. They gave it to God. He took charge. Exodus 14 verse 19 says, and the angel of the Lord went, who went before the camp moved and went behind them. Thank God for angels. And the pillar of cloud, which represents the Holy Spirit. This pillar of cloud went from in front of them and stood behind them. Verse 20. So it, this cloud came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The account continues, and you can read it. You can, uh, uh, you know, in fact, I encourage you to. It continues by talking about how when the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea, that all of a sudden this cloud of darkness was removed and their enemies began to pursue them. And God caused the waters to go back over their enemies and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. They heard their enemies no more again forever. Wow, what a picture. What a plan that God had. Let's look at one of these verses that we just read. Let's look at one of them again. 
verse 20. So it, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other. Wow. Interesting, huh? It's interesting to me how that these people are at the same place at the same time and seeing the same event. But it's a cloud and darkness to one, and it's light in the night to another. A cloud. We understand this to be the Holy Spirit. How can the Holy Spirit be this cloud? Confusion, misunderstanding, chaos, foolishness is what this means. This cloud is, is, is bewilderment, it's foggy, it's unclear. And darkness. This concept of darkness, to be obscured, to have no vision, to be blind to sight. To not be able to see, to be empty, to be void, to be lifeless, to be threatened, to be afraid of the unknown, not knowing what's in the darkness. It's a fear and a withdrawing from the darkness, trying to stay away from the presence of God because it appears to be foolish. It appears to be confusing. It appears to be threatening. It appears, you know... To be all the things you don't want, when in reality, just on the other side, with the children of God versus the children of the world, with the children of God, it was a light in their night. <laughs> it was a bright spot in their otherwise dismal day. They saw when the Egyptians couldn't see. They understood when the Egyptians couldn't understand. They were comforted when the Egyptians were confused and afraid. There was a shining about them. It, it illuminated their life. It was glorious and it gave them hope of a better day. Not fear and concern, but hope of a better day. You see, that's the difference between what happens in the life of a child of God and what happens in the life of a child of this world when they encounter that same presence of God. It can be foolishness. It can be obscured. It can be threatening. It can be all kinds of things that darkness and clouds connotate. But to the child of God, the presence of God is a comfort and a bright spot, and a hope in our otherwise dismal day. To the one group, the presence of God was glorious. To the other group, it was only confusing and foolish and threatening and unclear. One group confused, the other group comforted. But as I said, it was the, it was the same event in the same place at the same time. How in the world can that happen? Well... The Apostle Paul wrote to us to bring clarity to this very issue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, he writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, nor can he understand them. Because they are spiritually understood. 
You see, so often a child of God here in this church, here you are. What you're doing today is foolish to the world. What you're doing today is foolish to the children of this world that you would come into a place on a Sunday morning when you could sleep late and you would listen to a preacher rant and rave trying to get you to believe that God's Word can be trusted. Isn't that foolish? God even thinks that's foolish at times. He said it's through the foolishness of preaching that He has chosen to save men. Isn't that a nutty thing? But to you it's life, to you it's hope, to you it's clear, but to the world it's confusing. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. They can look like darkness. They can look confusing. They can look misunderstood. They can look threatening. The Word of God, the very light of life, can look like a threat to some people. Oh, I'm hoping that we can understand that God has given us a great gift. The gift to discern light. The gift to understand. The gift to see. It may not make things easy. It may not make things, you know, uh, not be frustrating. But there is a light of hope. There is a shining of the presence of God in the life of a child of God that is beyond the recognition of others to comprehend those who do not have that light of life in them. The Bible says that we were all once in darkness, but now we are in light. Do you remember what it was like to not know the difference between good and evil? Do you remember what it was like to not know the difference between the sweetness of God and the bitterness of sin? Do you remember what it was like when you would put a smile on your face and step into death? Do you remember what it was like when you were not convicted and you were not convinced that what you were doing and where you were headed was wrong? Can you reach back for one moment and remember what it was like to live in darkness? Because we all were once in darkness. At times the world still tries like Pharaoh to encroach upon our claimed ground. At times, the voices of this world can grow so loud when we are in pressured moments that it can sound like bitterness is sweet. It can sound like, I'll meddle a little bit here. It can sound like cheating on your income tax is a good thing to do. Woo, that was a low blow, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, done gone to meddling, Jason. <laughs> it can feel like they're reaching out there and touching somebody. It's just going to make you feel all better. The world can sound like and can make you feel like that your back is against the wall and your enemies are about to devour you and the best thing that you can do is either jump into the sea and drown or give up and quit. 
But oh, that's not the voice of my God. That's not the light of this world. That's the darkness of this world. When light and darkness, you're having an unclear time. Listen, that's sad. It's sad when people can't distinguish light from darkness. But to some people, it all looks the same. But not to you. You cannot afford to let the truth become cloudy. You cannot afford to let the light grow dim. Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet said in verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Whoa, listen, it's, it's, it's never good to decide that what's wrong is what's right. Doing what's bad is what's best. <laughs> Boy, this is good preaching. <laughs> Come on, somebody say it. Oh, I'd shout it out. Okay. Never forget. Don't be confused. Wrong will never be right. You can never go outside of the Word of God to accomplish the will of God. You see, there's a process in our life that God has called us to. When we get born again, let there be light. That, 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 that is a, a picture of redemption. That's a picture of salvation. That the earth, which is me in that type and shadow in that typification and understanding of, of, of the parallel significance and the practical application in my life. I was the earth and God saw I was dark and without form and void and God spoke light into the earth and light came and then the process of my priority is for me to begin to separate the light from the darkness. I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. This is what Isaiah said, woe to those who are filled with light and step into darkness. What is darkness? Darkness by some accounts is just the shadow of death. That's what Isaiah said in chapter 9. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Prophesying about the Messiah. You see, when the Messiah came into my life and became a reality to me, all of a sudden the darkness was revealed that it was dark. I saw a great light. You saw a great light. Why? Because that is the life of God. When God and His Word, when God and His will, when God and the most simple understanding of His way seems like darkness instead of light, we need help. But thank God there is help. <laughs> Three things today I'm going to offer you. Remembering the priority of God and the priority of our life is to separate light from darkness. And it's not just a one-time deal, okay? Have you noticed the sun still comes up and goes down every day? Seems to me like it's an everyday deal. All right. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts 
recorded by Luke. Verse 18 of chapter 26. This is, this is the reason that Jesus came. This is the reason. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow. Turn. Everybody say turn. turn. Number one thing, whenever you find yourself with your back against the wall and enemies breathing down your neck. Whenever you are facing a situation and it looks like the only two options is to, is to just to die or die, you know, die to one thing or die to another. When it looks like that, 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 that there's nothing you can do, when it looks like you're out of options, and when you don't know what to do, turn, turn to Jesus, turn Turn to him. Everybody say turn. You see, it's God's hope that you would turn to the light. That you would turn to light instead of darkness. That you would not in days of difficulty and pressures and frustrations and circumstances, situations that, that, that give you a dismal day, that instead of turning to the darkness, instead of going to the bar, instead of going to the drugs, instead of going to the anger, instead of going to the escape, that you would just turn to him. You see, you can do it every day. You can do it every hour. You can do it every time you're in need because almighty God is always there. He always Always has a plan. He will never leave you and never forsake you. Almighty God has a better plan. He wants to set you free from your enemies, set you free from your bondage, set you free from being a slave to sin and this world. And he wants to destroy the haunting enemies of your past. It may look like you're in a box canyon, but you're in the place that God's about to move. When there's nothing you can do about what you did and there's nothing you can do about what others want to do, you can always turn to God. He may need a little time, but time and patience and waiting always comes with a turn to Him. You see, when God took over for the children of Israel. He got between them and their enemies. That's what he'll do for you. He was going to hold the enemies off just as long as it took. Even though it was nighttime, it looked like a bright spot in their day. It was a light to them. They must have looked across that Red Sea. They must have seen that wind begin to blow from the east. They probably watched it grow stronger and stronger as the Word of God says that it blew a strong wind all night long and it blew the waters back, separated the waters. Don't you know that was marvelous in their eyes? And then it just kept blowing long enough to dry the ground out. And they walked across on dry ground. All God needed was a little trust and a little time. Turn to Him. Trust him. Well, number two, Matthew 12, 46. Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. <laughs> Jesus is a light. Let me tell you, number one, turn to him. Number two, believe him. 
Believe him. Believe the word of God. Believe. I mean, it, it may look like you're believing God against all odds, but believe him anyway. What does it cost you? Giving up gets you nothing. Have you ever felt like quitting? I feel like quitting, but I look around and wonder, what would I quit? Just what would I quit? Am I, am I going to quit loving Jesus? Am I going to quit, you know, believing in heaven? Am I going to quit? What would I quit? Turn to him and believe. Believe that he has a plan. That's what they had to do. They had to believe. It's the difference between the 1929 stock market crash that was taken as a death nail by one group and as an opportunity by the other. More millionaires per capita was made as a result of that stock market crash than had been previously, while others jumped out of windows. Believe in Jesus. Number three, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Oh, I love that separation of light and darkness thing. You see, number one, we need to turn to him in our difficult moments. We need to believe the word of God and we just need to keep following him. You just got to keep following. You just got to keep on following him. He said, those that follow me, they will not end up continuing to walk in darkness. He will lead them into light as indeed he does. You can trust Jesus. Turn to him. You can turn to him every day. If you have never before given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never been born again, if you have never asked the Savior of the world into your heart in a personal way, then today you can turn to him. Believe him. Believe that he is the Savior of the world. And it's through him that sins are forgiven. And it's because of him that you, as a child of God, can be welcomed into heaven. And then... You'll need to follow him in a process of life, separating light from darkness. I close with this verse in John, 1 John, the first chapter, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and which today I declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God will not be darkness to you. Though the world is confused, though they don't understand, though they seem to think what you believe is foolish, God is the light of your life. If you've not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, do so today. If you're in a situation with your back against the wall or if you have a friend or family member whose back's against the wall and the enemies are breathing down their neck, encourage them, encourage yourself, turn to him, turn it over to him, give him some time, turn it over to him, believe him, turn it over to him. He will change things. He will set you free and he will shut the mouths of those haunting enemies of your past 
it may take a little time. But turn to him. Time's going to come and go anyway. You may as well end up at the end of the race a winner.